0: Chapter 8, Part 2 of The Sea, Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Sea, Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume 1 by frederick Wimper, chapter eight part two round the world on a man of war the india and china stations the fruits of the earth are abundant at shanghai and jack ashore may revel in delicious peaches figs persimmons cherries plums oranges citrons and pomegranates while there is a plentiful supply of fish flesh and fowl grains of all kinds rice and cotton are cultivated extensively the latter gives employment at the loom for thousands on the other hand there are drawbacks in the shape of clouds of mosquitoes flying beetles heavy rains monsoons and earthquakes the prognostics of the latter are a highly electric state of the atmosphere long drought. Excessive heat, and what can only be described as a stagnation of all nature. Dr. Milne, reciting his experiences, says, At the critical moment of the commotion, the earth began to rock, the beams and walls cracked like the timbers of a ship under sail, and a nausea came over one, a seasickness really horrible. At times, for a second or two, previous to the vibration, there was heard a subterraneous growl, a noise as of the mighty rushing wind whirling about underground. The natives were terror-struck, more especially if the quake happened at night, and there would burst a mass of confused sounds. "'Kyu Ming! Kyu Ming! Save your lives! Save your lives!' dogs added their yells to the medley amid the striking of gongs and tom-toms next day there would be exhaustless gossip concerning upheaval and sinking of land flames issuing from the hillsides and ashes cast about the country the chinese ideas on the subject are various some thought the earth had become too hot and that it had to relieve itself by a shake or that it was changing its place for another part of the universe. Others said that the Supreme One, to bring transgressors to their senses, thought to alarm them by a quivering of the earth. The notion most common among the lower classes is that there are six huge sea monsters, great fish, which support the earth, and that if any one of these move, the earth must be agitated superstition is rife in ascribing these earth-shakings chiefly to the remissness of the priesthood in almost every temple there is a moyu an image of a scaly wooden fish suspended near the altar and among the duties of the priests it is rigidly prescribed that they keep up an everlasting tapping on it if they become lax in their duties the fish wriggle and shake the earth to bring the drowsy priests to a sense of their duty a singular meteorological phenomenon often occurs at shanghai a fall of dust fine light and impalpable sometimes black ordinarily yellow the sun or moon will scarcely be visible through this sand shower the deposit of this exquisite powder is sometimes to the extent of a quarter of an inch after a fall of a day or two It will penetrate the closest Venetian blinds. It overspreads every article of furniture in the house, finds its way into the innermost chambers and recesses. In walking about, one's clothes are covered with dust. The face gets grimy, the mouth and throat parched, the teeth grate, the eyes, ears, and nostrils become itchy and irritable. The fall sometimes extends as far as Ningpo in the interior also some two hundred miles out at sea some think that it is blown all the way from the steppes of mongolia after having been wafted by typhoons into the upper regions of the air others think that it comes across the seas from the japanese volcanoes which are constantly subject to eruptions the population of shanghai rapidly increasing is probably about four hundred thousand to four hundred and fifty thousand souls it swarms with professional beggars among the many creditable things cited by milne regarding the chinese is the number of native charitable institutions in canton ningpo and shanghai including foundling hospitals the shanghai asylum for outcast children retreats for poor and destitute widows, shelters for the maimed and blind, medical dispensaries, leper hospitals, vaccine establishments, almshouses, free burial societies, and so forth. So much for the heartless Chinese. The sailor certainly has this compensation for his hard life, that he sees the world and visits strange countries and peoples by the dozen, privileges for which many a man, tied at home by the inevitable force of circumstances, would give up a great deal. What an oracle is he on his return, amid his own family circle or friends! How the youngsters in particular hang on his every word, look up at his bronzed and honest face, and wish that they could be sailors. Strange countries for to see how many curiosities has he not to show from the inevitable parrot chattering in a foreign tongue or swearing roundly in english vernacular to the little ugly idol brought from india but possibly manufactured in birmingham if from china he will probably have brought home some curious caddy fearfully and wonderfully inlaid with dragons and impossible landscapes an ivory pagoda or perhaps one of those wonderfully carved balls with twenty or so more inside it all separate and distinct each succeeding one getting smaller and smaller he may have with him a native oil painting if a portrait stolid and hard but if of a ship true to the last rope and exact in every particular in san francisco where there are fourteen thousand or more chinese may be seen native paintings of vessels which could hardly be excelled by a european artist and the cost of which for large sizes say three and a half by two and a half feet was only about fifteen dollars three pounds what with fans handkerchiefs chinese ladies shoes for feet about three inches in length lanterns, chopsticks, pipes, rice-paper drawings, books, neat and quaint little porcelain articles for presents at home. It will be odd if Jack, who has been mindful of the old folks at home, and the young folks too, and the girl he left behind him, does not become a very popular man. And then his yarns of Chinese life. How on his first landing at a port, the natives, in proffering their services, hastened to assure him in pigeon English. Pigeon is a native corruption of business, as a mixed jargon had and has to be used in trading with the lower classes. That me all same English man, me belly good man, or you want wantee washy me washy you, which is simply an offer to do your laundry work or you want a glub grub me sabby no one shop all same english belly good or perhaps he has met a chinaman accompanying a coffin home and yet looking quite happy and jovial not knowing that it is a common custom to present coffins to relatives during lifetime he inquires who's dead john no man hab die replies the celestial no man hab die me making my olo fader cumsha, him likee too muche count to my number one popa s'pose he die can catch ye which freely translated is no one is dead it is a present from me to my aged father with which he will be much pleased i esteem my father greatly and it will be at his service when he dies how one of the common names for a foreigner, especially an Englishman, is I say, which derived its use simply from the Chinese hearing our sailors and soldiers frequently ejaculate the words when conversing, as for example, I say, Bill, there's a queer looking pigtail. The Chinese took it for a generic name, and would use it among themselves in the most curious way, as for example, A red-coated I-say sent me to buy a fowl, or Did you see a tall I-say here a while ago? The application is, however, not more curious than the title of John, bestowed on the Chinaman by most foreigners as a generic distinction. Less flattering epithets used to be freely bestowed on us, especially in the interior, such as foreign devil, red-haired devil, etc., The phrase hung Mao, red-haired, is applied to foreigners of all classes and arose when the Dutch first opened up trade with China. A Chinese work alluding to their arrival says, Their raiment was red, and their hair too. They had bluish eyes, deeply sunken in their head, and our people were quite frightened by their strange aspect. Jack will have to tell how many strange anomalies met his gaze. For example, in launching their junks and vessels, they are sent into the water sideways. The horseman mounts on the right side. The scholar, reciting his lesson, turns his back on his master. And if Jack, or at all events one of his superior officers, goes to a party, he should not wear light pumps, but as thick, solid shoes as he can get. White lead is used for blacking on visits of ceremony you should keep your hat on and when you advance to your host you should close your fists and shake hands with yourself dinners commence with sweets and fruits and end with fish and soup white is the funeral colour you may see adults gravely flying kites while the youngsters look on shuttlecocks are battledored doored by the heel books begin at the end The paging is at the bottom, and in reading you proceed from right to left. The surname precedes the Christian name. The fond mother holds her babe to her nose to smell it, as she would a rose, instead of kissing it. What yarns he will have to tell of pigtails, how the Chinese sailor lashes it round his cap at sea how the crusty pedagogue, with no other rod of correction, will, on the spur of the moment, lash the refractory scholar with it, and how, for fun, a wag will tie two or three of his companions' tails together, and start them off in different directions. But he will also know, from his own or others' experiences, that the foreigner must not attempt practical jokes upon John Chinaman's tail." Noli me tangere, says Dr. Milne, is the order of the tail as well as of the thistle. Now that most of the restrictions surrounding foreigners in Japan have been removed, and that enlightened people, the Englishmen of the Pacific, in enterprise and progress, have taken their proper place among the nations of the earth, visits to Japan are commonly made by even ordinary tourists making the circuit of the globe and we shall have to touch there again in another voyage round the world shortly to follow the english sailors of the royal navy often have an opportunity of visiting the charming islands which constitute japan its english name is a corruption of te pankwo chinese for kingdom of the source of the sun marco polo was the first to bring to europe intelligence of the bright isles whose japanese name nippon or niffon means literally sun source on the way to yokohama the great port of japan the voyager will encounter the monsoons the northeast version of which brings deliciously cool air from october to march while the southwest monsoon brings hot and weary weather on the way nagasaki on the island of Kyushu, will almost certainly be visited which has a harbor with a very narrow entrance, with hills running down to the water's edge, beautifully covered with luxuriant grass and low trees. The Japanese have planted batteries on either side, which would probably prevent any vessel short of a strong ironclad from getting in or out of the harbor. The city has a population at least of 150,000. There are a number of Chinese restricted to one quarter, surrounded by a high wall, in which is a heavy gate, that is securely locked every night. Their dwellings are usually mean and filthy, and compare very unfavorably with the neat, clean, matted dwellings of the Japanese. The latter despise the former. Indeed, you can scarcely insult a native more than to compare him with his brother of Nankin. The japanese term them the nanking sands the island of nifan on which yokohama is situated is about one hundred and seventy miles long by seventy broad while yeso is somewhat longer and narrower japan really became known to europe through fernando mendez pinto a portuguese who was shipwrecked there in fifteen forty nine seven years later the famous jesuit francis xavier introduced the catholic faith which for a long time made great progress but a fatal mistake was made in fifteen eighty when an embassy was sent to the pope with presents and vows of allegiance the reigning tycoon had his eyes opened by this act and saw that to profess obedience to any spiritual lord was to weaken his own power immeasurably The priests of the old religions, too, complained bitterly of the loss of their flocks, and the tycoon determined to crush out the Christian faith. Thousands upon thousands of converts were put to death, and the very last of them are said to have been hurled from the rock of Papenburg at Nagasaki into the sea in sixteen hundred william adams an english sailor on a dutch ship arrived in the harbour of bungo and speedily became a favourite with the tycoon who through him gave the english permission to establish a trading factory on the island of ferrando this was later on abandoned but the dutch east india company continued the trade on the same island under very severe restrictions The firearms and powder on their ships were taken from them immediately on arrival, and only returned when the ships were ready for sea again. Yokohama, the principal port, stands on a flat piece of ground at the wide end of a valley, which runs narrowing up for several miles in the country. The site was reclaimed from a mere swamp by the energy of the government— and there is now a fine sea-wall facing the sea, with two piers running out into it, on each of which there is a custom-house. The average Japanese in the streets is clothed in a long, thin cotton robe, open in front, and gathered at the waist by a cloth girdle. This constitutes the whole of his dress save a scanty cloth tied tightly round the loins, cotton socks and wooden clogs, the elder women look hideous, but some of their ugliness is self inflicted, as it is the fashion, when a woman becomes a wife, to draw out the hair of her eyebrows and varnish her teeth black. Their teeth are white, and they still have their eyebrows, but are too much prone to the use of chalk and vermilion on their cheeks. Everyone is familiar with the Japanese stature. Under the general average, for there are now a large number of the natives resident in London. Jack will soon find out that the Japanese cuisine is most varied. Tea and sake, or rice beer, are the only liquors used, except of course by traveled Europeanized or Americanized Japanese. They sit on the floor, squatting on their heels in a manner which tires Europeans very rapidly, although they look as comfortable as possible. The floor serves them for chair, table, bed, and writing desk. At meals there is a small stand about nine inches high by seven inches square placed before each individual, and on this is deposited a small bowl and a variety of little dishes. Chopsticks are used to convey the food to their mouth. Their most common dishes are fish boiled with onions and a kind of small bean dressed with oil. Fowls stewed and cooked in all ways, boiled rice, oil, mushrooms, carrots, and various bulbous roots are greatly used in making up their dishes. In the way of a bed in summer, they merely lie down on the mats and put a wooden pillow under their heads, but in winter indulge in warm quilts and have brass pans of charcoal at the feet. They are very cleanly, baths being used constantly, and the public bathhouses being open to the street. Strangely enough, however, although so particular in bodily cleanliness, they never wash their clothes, but wear them till they almost drop to pieces. A gentleman who arrived there in 1859 had to send his clothes to Shanghai to be washed, a journey of sixteen hundred miles. Since the great influx of foreigners, however, plenty of Niphons have turned laundrymen. Their tea-gardens, like those of the Chinese, are often large and extremely ornamental, and at them one obtains a cup of genuine tea made before your eyes for one-third of a half-penny. The great attraction, in a landscape point of view, outside Yokohama, is the grand Fushiyama mountain, an extinct volcano, the great object of reverence and pride in the Japanese heart, and which in native drawings and carvings is incessantly represented. A giant 14,000 feet high, it towers grandly to the clouds, snow-capped and streaked. It is deemed a holy and worthy deed to climb to its summit, and to pray in the numerous temples that adorn its sides. Thousands of pilgrims visit it annually. And now let us make a northward voyage. End of chapter eight, part two.